about to hear my conversation with our equity CIO, Leslie Marks. We talk all about the latest macro news, including the Fed hiking 25 basis points, earnings season, and the actions of the Bank of Japan. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our equity CIO, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back. Great to be here once again, Matt. Why don't we get uh, started right into pure macro land? And for middle of summer, it feels like it's been actually quite busy. Probably the the most uh, notable news uh, was the Federal Reserve hiking by twenty five basis points, uh, largely expected by by markets. Anything that you picked up from that uh, from either the, the hike itself or the comments from uh, Chairman Powell? Well, I think um, the way you described it as a bit of a very much as expected meeting this week meant it was kind of boring, actually. And even um, hearing the commentary uh, from the Fed chair in the press conference uh, after the announcement, also, there, there really wasn't a lot to take from that moment other than to say that another increase this year is definitely still in play. Um, the Fed, very much like the Bank of Canada, continues to be data-driven and they um, are focused on sort of the obvious uh, data, that being inflation data, employment costs, wages, consumer confidence, of course, economic data. Uh, so lots of metrics between now and um, meetings, you know, into September and uh, throughout the rest of the year. I think the real question will be the Fed really communicated strongly that the pause at the last meeting would be a skip and they delivered on that. So are we set up for another skip? Is, is the next increase going to come in September or is that going to be pushed out into uh, another meeting? There's three more meetings left this year. And um, I think that we'll have to see when, when we look at the data, whether that makes sense for them to skip again. That's great. I guess uh, you you referenced all the data that the, the Fed is looking at, and there seems like there's a real mix of data uh, between both employment, uh, wage growth, uh, and inflation coming off nicely. One of the other data points that came out uh, this week is the second quarter GDP, fairly strong. Uh, I guess maybe start by were you, were you surprised by the strength of the, the U.S. economy? Yeah, I mean, definitely surprised to the upside. As a team, our global investment committee has been talking uh whenever we get together about the surprising resilience of the U.S. economy in the face of a very fast pace of increased interest rates. The U.S. economy grew by 2.4% in the second quarter. Again, another uh, very normal growth rate, beating expectations uh, for this quarter and an uptick versus the first quarter, which came in at 2%. I like to look beneath the headline 
some of the things that jumped out to me personally was, first of all, consumer spending, which continues mm. to be a big contributor to growth. And that makes sense given the low unemployment and healthy wage sure. growth. We know there's been a drawdown of savings. So the consumer is very much in play. And, and I think most of our listeners know the importance of the consumer, which is about 70% of the U.S. economy. Um, but some other interesting trivia that I pulled was that um, – there's been lower spending in residential real estate, but mm. that's been replaced by strong private investment. And I would say that that's likely related to the onshoring trends um, that we're seeing in the U.S. with manufacturing coming back to the U.S. economy. And of course, we know about um, the chip spending, uh, chip manufacturing um, spending in, in the U.S. as well. So, Private investment is now playing uh, an increasingly important role in the U.S. economy. And this really gives some credence to the no landing camp. So those that believe that the U.S. economy can withstand the current tight monetary policy environment. But I think it should be noted that um, – the response to the bond market was very interesting. And uh, we saw a very quick sell-off uh, in in the bond market. Yields spiked. If you look at just the 10-year yields, uh, went up to 4%. And I think it's notable because that's really not that far off from the highs that we saw in October when the equity market bottomed, which was at about 4.2%. And the reason right. I bring this up is because We've seen a stock rally that started, as I mentioned, uh, in October with a view that uh, lower interest rates would be good for uh, riskier asset classes like equities. And the stocks that behaved um, first or started to move quickly were those sort of longer duration equities, those in the technology sector. So really responding to the view that we'd seen the peak in interest rates. And when you look back and reflect, here we are in July, end of July, and interest rates haven't really moved down, yet equities have continued to move higher. So we still continue to see a dichotomy around views on the economy um, between stocks and bonds here. So that that's what I take from the read-through on the second quarter GDP report. And am I reading the tea leaves right based on those comments that you think equities uh, potentially have uh, stretch valuations at this point? Well, I think it's uh, it's interesting. Um, something else I've been looking at is how equities have performed historically in um, different earnings revision environments. And when you go back okay. in history, even you know the look at the last twenty years. So generally, what happens is. Earnings get revised, start to be revised downwards. You have negative revisions in earnings. Stocks start to fall. And sure. then um, obviously stocks will resume an upward trend um, ahead of earnings starting to improve. And what we've seen is here is, you know, that did happen in 2022. Earnings uh, were falling. Stocks were right. falling. And now stocks have uh, been coming up. But earnings are still um 
in in a negative revision phase. And so what our concern is that, um, as as you know, stocks, the stock movement that we've seen higher because it's not earnings related has been all multiple expansion. And if we don't start to see a turn in earnings or positive earnings momentum come in uh, the fourth quarter of this year, I do think that that is going to set us up for uh, a, a pretty significant headwind for, for equities, which are certainly anticipating uh, very good earnings growth uh, resuming in the fourth quarter. And like I think expectations are for over 10% earnings growth for, for next year. And I think the economy is going to have to grow um, a, a lot better than 2% um, to, to get to that uh, 10% earnings growth number for next year. So to your question, you know, we're at a bit of a crossroads here where right. we need to see a change in trend in, in earnings revisions for sure. Well, let's, let's talk about uh, sort of uh, corporate earnings in general. We've seen some U.S. Uh, companies report, um, but we haven't really started the Canadian earnings season just yet. Um, any conclusions on what you've seen out of the U.S. corporations, uh, what, what they have uh, reported, and what that might uh, mean for future Canadian company earnings? Yeah. So, I mean, the makeup of the Canadian uh, stock market is obviously very different than the U.S. What we've right. seen in the U.S., we started out with the um, the bank earnings, and I'll talk to those in a moment. And then we sort of rolled into that magnificent seven, the big, right. large cap dominating uh, names uh, coming out. You know, we don't really have those types of names here in Canada that really dominate our market to to the same extent. The Canadian market is primarily um, materials, energy, and uh, banks um, as far as the big heavyweights go. So let's sort of go um, a little bit sector by sector. I won't go through all the sectors, but let's start with, with where things started in the U.S., which was uh, U.S. bank er- earnings. And I think that um, there was some really interesting data there. Um, the larger U.S. banks and, and as you know, you know, with um, the downfall of some of the regional banks, we've seen greater concentration within the larger banks. And so that's becoming a little bit more like the Canadian banking environment. So I do think there are some important read throughs there. Um, I think that expectations were very low and earnings came in sort of at expectations in, in most cases and in, in, with the big U.S. banks. And you could say that that is likely to be the case here in, in Canada as well, or um, expectations are very low. I think one thing that um, stood out to me was uh, the most cyclical part of the uh, large U.S. banks, that being the investment dealer um we, we did see some anecdotal commentary around expectations that um, that part of the business had likely bottomed and that there was, okay. um, we heard this from James Gorman from Morgan Stanley, the CEO of Morgan Stanley, that he felt that there had been some real significant pent up demand within um, the equity issuance area of the market. And we started to see a little bit of opening up and, and some equity issuance, which is something that has been you know, not the case, certainly for the last, call it, year and a half. And that um, could be very good for Canadian banks if that trend makes its way here to Canada, because new issuance really does help um, 
the investment dealer earnings picture, not just for new issuance, but also helps with trading. And so uh, we'd like to see some signs uh, from the Canadian bank CEOs that they're also seeing. I don't know if you could call it green shoots, but something like that um, would certainly be helpful to that sector, which has been uh, a real anchor for the TSX, um, very weak performance, but also uh, very low valuation. So um, all of the movement we've seen in Canada has been similar to the U.S. with the discretionary space and um, technology, smaller sectors in Canada. If we could see some positive upward momentum in our uh, Canadian banks, I think that would be a good boost overall for the S&P TSX, which has lagged. Great comments on on the banks. Um, Why don't we touch uh, anything else that you've learned, like Magnificent Seven? Is there anything to glean there about the health of the consumer or or, uh, where, where things are going in general? I think what we're really seeing are pockets of strength and pockets of weakness. I think in many cases, the earnings were just enough to hold the stocks uh, where they were, which you know, is, is, is pretty magnificent unto itself because they've, so many of them have had, you know, big 50, 60% uh, moves year to date. And so I think that that's good, but it wasn't really enough to kind of be the next leg for that group of stocks. At least we haven't seen that yet. And so what, has come as a result is um, because people are still optimistic about the equity market, um, mostly because of the fact that the economy has performed better than expected, we've seen a nice broadening out in performance beyond that magnificent Mm. seven. So we're just starting to see some moves quietly um, beyond those seven stocks. Even in in energy, for example, um, oil, if you look at the price of oil, has quietly moved up um, about $10. And um, that has really helped, um, obviously, provide a floor on the energy sector and and some support. And the energy sector happens to be actually not as important in in the U.S. as as in Canada, but it's still a a significant contributor to overall earnings of the S&P. So um, we're soon going to be at the point. Uh, we're not that far off where we'll see um, positive commodity prices in energy uh, year over year. And, you know, that hasn't been the case uh, year to date. Energy generally has been down, depending on the quarter, 20 to 30 percent. So what we've seen so far in, in earnings um, hasn't resulted in overall upward revisions. Um, again, as, as I mentioned in, in this earnings picture, which we still see as, as a bit weak, but um, it's just been good enough to to hold things where where they are. Great. Yeah, maybe circling back to where we started the conversation with the Fed uh, and this transition to being well, maybe not transition, but this uh, renewed focus on being data dependent. Call it. Um, they do state that that uh, the PCE inflation uh, data point is sort of the, the favorite one that they look for. We've just gone through uh, a lot of other things like commodity prices potentially going up, which will feed through to inflation. You have earnings that have been meeting expectations, sort of uh, reasonable, at least uh, during this time. We talked about GDP coming in. What are, what other things is the Fed looking at, as, aside from uh, PCE, uh, when they say that they're being data-driven? Well, PCE is the key one, because that's their preferred uh, piece of inflation data. They also uh, focus on the core, which um, has been uh, a little more um, sticky, 
than you've seen in the PCE that includes food and inflation. So core right. is X food and inflation. So, so t- for example, today we saw um, the PCE reported um, rose uh, 3% year over year, which is pretty good. And it slowed nicely and it's definitely well within reach of the 2% target, but the right. core is um, up 4.1%. So, so a little bit more work to do. So the data is definitely being anchored lower by lower energy prices. Um, the the other thing that the Fed will be looking at is the employment cost index, which also was reported uh, today, and it was up four point five percent year over year, and so it it appears to also be slowing. So overall, uh, the data that the Fed is looking at is all trending in the right direction. And this this data obviously came out today. This is after the latest um, Fed deliberations. So this will be information that will go into their decisioning for September. And I mean, I don't want to be wishy-washy to say that this doesn't give a clear indication of what the Fed is going to do next. But I would say if if forced, and, and let's say the Fed had to make a decision on Monday, call it, Right. Um, they would probably, on the basis of that data, that could actually support um, skipping another meeting. And so this is where you have the scenario that they want to wait a little bit longer to see the impact of um, their policy to date. And they probably have a little bit of time to do that now. To your point, if energy starts to tick up and, and other commodities and you start to see an uptick or, um, you know, an acceleration in, in inflation, you would definitely see uh, the Fed uh, come back. You know, a, another increase would be on the table for um, maybe not September, but but the meeting after that, say October. So it's th- those are really the keys. Um, they'll also, you know, if we take it to the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Canada is watching very closely housing uh, data, and not to say that the Fed isn't, but housing is is a much bigger factor here in Canada. And I I do think that um, the strength that we saw in in house prices was a big contributor to the fact that uh, the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, came off the sidelines um, to start increasing rates again here in in Canada, that he really wanted to ensure that there was uh, a ceiling on on house prices, not just for affordability, but um, because of the change in in the calculus on um, what higher interest rates will do to, to mortgage costs. Good context. Staying with central banks, I guess, but traveling to the other side of the world, Bank of Japan overnight uh, softened their yield curve control program uh, and reduced sort of their monetary uh, easing. That's been in place for uh, a decade or or more. Uh, Curious on uh, on your take on that and what implications this might have. Yeah, I mean, this has been really interesting uh, to watch. And it was certainly um, heavily speculated um, when the new uh, Bank of Japan governor, Weta, was uh, brought in that um, there would be a softening to yield curve control. And I think yesterday's comments reinforced uh, the views that, 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 that this was the most likely scenario. Um, as a reminder for our listeners, the Bank of Japan has been one of the few central banks that didn't embrace embark on a tighter uh, monetary policy journal, right. certainly in the developed world, uh, over the past year or so. And um, 
Inflation has been rising slowly, um, certainly not to the extent that we've seen in other parts of the world. Um, but um, I think there is a recognition here that um, allowing a little bit of flexibility and floating higher of interest rates, purchasing less purchasing of government bonds as a way to keep the 10-year uh, bond yield capped, um, things, tools like that uh, on the monetary policy side are being floated. And, and I think the idea idea is to float a change in policy while um, keeping stability in, in the market is, is the priority of uh, the new BOJ governor. And we're seeing all of that. And so um, much more flexible approach to uh, yields in Japan um, because inflation is only running at around um, the 3% level. Um, they could afford to uh, be a little late on increasing interest rates or sure. letting interest rates float higher. Um, but now that inflation is starting to creep a little bit higher, uh, I think flexibility is, is responsible here. As far as bigger picture implications, obviously, 10-year uh, yields are, um, given that they'll be allowed to float higher beyond 0.5%. Sure. Um, so we expect that yields will move uh, modestly higher. Um, also, uh, as yields move higher in Japan, it makes their bonds uh, more attractive. And um, so you could see some more interest in uh, JGBs, Japanese government bonds, Um also more interest in the yen, a little bit more strength behind uh, the Japanese yen, which would lead to uh, probably some weakness in the U.S. dollar, which remember the U.S. dollar and the Japanese yen have typically been um, the currencies of choice when uh, there is risk aversion or higher volatility. Um, right. In the latest bout of volatility last year, we really saw the focus being so much on the U.S. dollar um, at the expense of of the yen, and and now I think the yen comes into play as another um, potential currency that people will turn to in a flight to safety. Leslie, that's great. Uh, thanks so much for spending the time with me. Wonderful overview on, uh, on earnings markets uh, around the globe. So thanks again for for spending time. Well, it's a great conversation. Lots of macro to talk about, as you mentioned, in a very, you know, sort of slow midsummer doldrum time. You know, the markets don't take the summer off. So it was good that we had this conversation around the events of this week. Great. Thanks, Leslie. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 